0: There is a very common thread that runs through countless Christmas movies and other, you know, movies set during the holidays, and it's the idea that there's this countdown to Christmas, like we're we're getting close, in fact the Hallmark Channel literally calls the month of December, countdown to Christmas. It's it's this trope that is common everywhere, right? It's the idea that the big day is coming, right? And often with the idea that Santa or his human stand-ins are coming down to the wire to have everything ready for the big day. It's it's got there's this countdown element that's present through lots of these Christmas movies. It. It's present in movies about Santa and his elves, it's present in travelogue movies about people trying to make it home for the holidays, it's present in family dramas and comedies about interpersonal relationships during the holiday season, and it's very present in low-stakes dramas about big city lawyers falling for small-town bakers in plaid that have to decorate impeccably for a Christmas party. You get the point. This idea of a countdown to Christmas is everywhere right now. A.W. Tozier wrote, Christ came to bring peace, and we celebrate by making peace impossible for six weeks of each year. (laughs) The ultimate irony of this great countdown deal is that the very thing we're looking forward to, the very thing we're counting down toward, the very thing that was supposed to bring us peace, can make it really hard to experience that. Thing that we're actually looking forward to having. Advent is unapologetically a countdown. It's the whole point. Looking forward to it. You could argue that much of the prophetic literature of the Old Testament is kind of in countdown mode. Looking forward to that. If it's supposed to be a countdown to greater hope and peace and joy and love How's, how's that work? <laughs> how, 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 if, if it's supposed to be a countdown toward greater peace and we're supposed to have more peace at this time of year and we feel like we've got less, like how, do we, how do we change that? We're going to talk about how Jesus' entry into the world at Christmas gives us peace. So thank you for being here today. For those watching online, thanks for logging in. It takes a little extra work to do church online, right? Don't just watch church, you need to do church. Right, so so put, in, put in the work. Hope you sang your guts out in your living room just a little bit ago. All right? uh, fill out your connection card. You guys here in the room, uh, thanks for being here with us in the room this morning. Uh, be, please do that. That, just, that helps us care for you better. It, it's not about collecting data. It's about care okay, uh, and that just helps us do that better, so thank you, a um, couple things real quick, in your bulletin, you got an invite card uh, for Christmas Eve, hope you grab that, and, and want to make this available to you, and hope you'll use this, so we've got two services on Christmas Eve, 5.30 and 7 p.m., we're having one service on December 25th, Christmas Day at 10 a.m., everybody here in, in the room together, it's a family service, you can come casually dressed, you know, if you've got to squeeze this in between presents and breakfast and lunch and all that stuff, but... Um, I want to encourage you to be here. Bring somebody with you. Just, it, the, the door is wide open right now for you to invite your friends, for, for you to invite your neighbors. This is the, like the best time of year, really, to invite people who maybe are not in the place with God where they need to be or where you'd like to see them. This, this is the, your shot. This is your chance. It's, it's rarely ever going to be as easy a time to make that invite. So I want to encourage you to be, be doing that. And then also tonight at 545 in the chapel is our 2020-20 service for December. If you've not heard about that, that's 20 minutes of uh, worship. We're going to sing some Christmas carols tonight, 20 minutes of teaching. We're going to look at Mary's song in Luke 1 and, and how deeply steeped in the Psalms that is, and then 20 minutes of, of guided prayer time. So 20 minutes of worship, 20 minutes of teaching, 20 minutes of prayer. That's at 5:45 in the chapel. I want to encourage you to be here again this evening. We're going to look at Luke 1 tonight, but we're going to start in Luke 2 this morning. So open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. There's a lot of Bible in this sermon. So we're going to bounce around a bit. So it's a, we're going to feel if those of you who grew up in youth group like I did, going to feel like we're doing some sword drills today, okay? We're going to look at a bunch of different passages. They'll all be on the screen, but we're going to start in Luke 2. We're continuing our Advent series today called A Few of My Favorite Things. And if you hear, like, that sounds like that Julie Andrews song from The Sound of Music, you're right. It does. I want that to kind of be playing in your head. For the rest of this month, we're looking at the themes of Advent and what it is that makes them so great and why they're some of my favorite things. See, I believe that a major part of what makes Christmas so great is that in celebrating the entry of the second person of the triune Godhead, God the Son, in human form, in the birth of Jesus, our hearts are reoriented toward what matters most. Our hearts are pointed again at the values that God has and the values that God wants us to live by in our lives. And today we're going to talk about that in terms of peace. Michelle Hardy tells a story about her family. She says it was the beginning of Advent was about a week away. We thought we'd see what the kids remembered from our devotions from last year. And so she said to her kids, uh, Luke, who was seven, and Elsie, who was six, she said, can you guys tell me what the four candles of the Advent wreath represent? And Luke jumped in with typical seven-year-old boy exuberance and, um, dear, what's the right word? Expertise. You ever met a seven-year-old boy? They know everything. Um, he jumped in and he goes, uh, uh, Love and uh, joy and peace and, uh, and, uh, and Elsie just jumped in, Quiet, peace and quiet. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've got six and seven year old kids in your house, you're thinking, That'd be great. That'd be awesome. Uh, a little more peace and quiet. See, one of the most consistent elements in the Christmas story is this idea that. That Jesus entered the world on Christmas Eve. We don't know if it was December 25th or not. We don't know. But whatever it was, that he entered into the world and and everything was quiet and still and peaceful. We we, we have this mindset that that's the way that that happened. There was this deep sense of quiet as as God the Son entered into the world. It was a silent night. I don't know if it happened that way or not. It makes for a great song. But I think what matters more is our big idea today that Jesus is both the source and means of true peace. Jesus is the source of peace, it comes from Him. And He is the means of peace, it comes through Him. He's both the thing that makes the peace that we celebrate at Advent so great. The reason it's one of my favorite things is that it is different than and better than any other kind of peace that the world would like to put out there, and there are lots of different kinds. And the reason for this, the reason we celebrate this, is that it is true peace, and we're going to define that today. Because it comes from Jesus, and because of that, that means that His presence in any person's life or in any situation, is going to reveal how to have peace. So it comes from him, but it also shows us how we have it in that situation. So how does that work? Well, let's talk about that. First, let's talk about how Jesus is the source of peace. There's a lot of different kinds of peace in this world. There's the calm and stillness of wild, uninhabited places. Some of you whose hearts are more uh, of like the naturalist temperament, you crave this, especially living in a city. We, we, we crave these wild, uninhabited places where you go out and you don't hear jets flying overhead, and you don't hear sirens, and you go out at night and you can actually see the stars. There's the deep quiet of these wild and uninhabited places. That's one kind of peace. There's the quiet of a busy home after the kids go to bed. It's kind of its own thing. At the Scott house, we have night mode. Once the kids are in bed, we've got these lights that are very warm, like amber-tinted glass, LED things, and we'll turn those on, and the overhead lights go off, and it's in night mode. (laughs) And it's quiet. Finally. (laughs) Uh, You know... There's that, that quiet of, of the home. There, there's, there's the deep silence of a long-forgotten battlefield. Anybody here ever been to Gettysburg? And you walk that battlefield, and there's, there's a reflective quiet that's there. <laughs> and I, I, I'm, I hate to say this, but there is the grim and cruel quiet that dominates a country in the iron grip of a totalitarian dictator. Ever seen nighttime satellite photos of Southeast Asia? There's a hole where North Korea is. It's just dark. That's quiet too. Different reason. There are lots of different kinds of peace in the world. And these all come from different places and they have different causes, but the Christmas story is unique. Real peace, true peace, comes only from Jesus. Let me give you three reasons why. Here's the first one only Jesus' nature is peace. His character, who he is, is peace. Now, at Chapel Rock, we, we talk a lot about wholeness. It's the idea that that all your relationships are right. They're the way they should be. Your relationship with God, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with your your family and your friends and your neighbors and your community and even all of creation, that those relationships are right. We're we're expressing an idea that is is really present all throughout Scripture. It's, It's very present in the Hebrew word shalom, which usually gets translated peace, but it's way more comprehensive than that. Luke, of course, he's writing in Greek, so he doesn't use the word shalom. He uses the Greek word irene, but New Testament writers using irene, the Greek word for peace, usually have all the whole backlog of what shalom means present in that word. That's what the angels announced to the shepherds. When they announced Jesus' entry into the world, the, the predominant announcement is peace. Look at this with me in Luke 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven! and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests." The angel tells the shepherds on Christmas that, that those who have God's favor or grace also have his peace, that he pronounces a benediction of peace on those to whom he wants to express his grace, his favor. Does that sound vaguely familiar, like grace and peace together? I don't know, like every letter Paul wrote, <laughs> grace and peace to you. The recipients of grace are also the recipients of peace. I love how New Testament scholar Klein Snodgrass describes this. He writes, peace is not merely the secession of hostility. It is a comprehensive term for salvation and life with God. The background to this use is the Old Testament concept of shalom, which covers wholeness, physical well-being, prosperity, security, good relations, and integrity. And I think Brother Snodgrass is is right. He's saying that all of this comes from Jesus. He is the source of it. It, It's it's his character. It's his nature. The reason it comes from him is that it's what he is. (laughs) He's the Prince of Peace. Jesus' entry into the world at Christmas is for the purpose of extending the relationship that he natively possesses with God to us. He wants you to have what he has with his Father. He wants you to have what he has with, with people. He wants you to have what he has just natively. He possesses this himself. It's his nature. He's the source of it because it's who he is. That's the first reason. Here's the second reason that Jesus is the source of peace. It's that only the supreme can initiate peace. Only the supreme can initiate peace. Has it ever occurred to you in any relationship where there are two people or entities that are not truly true equals? Right? That there's some kind of power differential. For example, a parent and a child. Right, um, a, a boss and an employee, whatever. There's some kind of power differential. In every situation like that, only the more powerful can really initiate peace. The, the weaker party can ask for it, they can seek it, they can make life miserable for the, more, for the stronger party, but at the end of the day, only the stronger party can initiate peace. Jesus is supreme. And as a result, peace has to come from him because of his supremacy. That's what Paul is getting at in Colossians chapter 1. Look at this with me, Colossians 1.15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before, and by that, that doesn't mean in, in chronologically, it means in importance. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Does that sound like John 1 to you? And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God is supreme. And so only God can initiate peace. We might have wanted it, but it would have been absolutely fruitless for us to seek it if he hadn't begun the process. It has to come from him. God is the one who initiates peace. But here's the the mind-blowing thing. He is also the offended party. And that's the third reason why Jesus is the source of peace. Is that only the offended can make peace. Like, Casey, what are you talking about? How can God be offended? Well, see, here's the thing. I don't know if you've noticed this yet or not. It's actually his universe. Like, he created it and all that stuff, right? We're only here because he, he chooses it continually. We're only here because he wills it constantly it's his universe and so he gets to write the rules and and part of the way God has designed the universe because he is holy is that everything we've ever done that's wrong is an offense against the very nature of the one who allows us to continue to exist it's what the Bible calls sin what the Bible calls brokenness it's his universe It runs on his rules. You might not like that, but you don't have a universe. It's his. And so what that means is all of our sins are an offense against God. It's an offense that Jesus dealt with on the cross. But only the offended can make peace. Listen, if you've ever been hurt by somebody, and I'm guessing that's everybody listening to me right now in the room and watching online. If you've ever been hurt by somebody, you know this. The other person can ask for forgiveness. They can plead for restoration. They can do that all day long. But if you're not willing to grant it, ain't no peace going to happen. Only the offended party can make peace. So that makes what Jesus did on the cross that much more astounding. Look at this with me in Romans chapter 3. Paul writes, "...but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus." God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Now look at this, follow Paul's logic here. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. So what does all that have to do with Christmas? I'll tell you. Jesus is simultaneously the just, right? He's supreme. He's the offended party. He didn't do anything wrong. We did. So he is the just, but he is also the justifier. He's the one who paid the price for our sin when he died on the cross in our place for our sin and rose again on the third day. The reason Jesus is the source of peace is that he is both just and justifier. He is, he, it, it's his nature. He's pure. He's holy. He's without sin. It, all that true peace, that true shalom has to come from Jesus because it's who he is. And he is supreme. He's the firstborn over all creation, Colossians says. He's righteous. He's just. He's without sin, Scripture says. We're none of those things. He is just and the justifier. It has to come From him. And when it comes from him, it will change you. People who have received Christ have a peace that nobody else can have. Let me give an example happened just last year. On October 16th, 2021, a Haitian gang abducted 17 missionaries from a US based organization. Five children were believed to be among those kidnapped, including a two-year-old. The 400 Mowozo gang was also blamed for kidnapping five priests and two nuns earlier this year in Haiti. This gang routinely carries out kidnappings and carjackings and extortion of business owners. Now there's a mission organization called the Christian Aid Ministries, and they minister in scores of countries, including Haiti. These missionaries were part of this uh christian aid ministries group or cam for short and and you you think you know there'd be this demand right we'd petition the president you got to get involved you got to get these people released They're, they've been unjustly captured and yet family members of these captives have been united in their desire to pray for and bless and forgive the members of this gang cam put out a statement this is the way it reads the kidnappers like all people are created in the image of god and can be changed if they turn to him while we desire the safe release of our workers we also desire that the kidnappers be transformed by the love of jesus the only true source of peace and joy and forgiveness in fact one father of one of the the hostages said this about the kidnappers we are interested in the salvation of these men and we love them in the world does somebody get to a place in their soul where they can say that? How on earth can somebody have this feeling like, like it's th- that, that's a rational, reasonable thing to say? I will tell you, it is the peace that only comes from Jesus. That is it. That is the only thing that can motivate someone to even talk like that. Because that's not native to this world, is it? That's a peace that comes from outside this world. That's a peace that comes from beyond the horizon of our experience. It comes from God. He's the source of it. And when when he takes this 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 out-of-this-world peace and gives it to you, it changes the way you live. You see, that's the second part of this idea, is that Jesus is the means of peace. He's the way that peace is mediated to the world. Yes, peace comes from Jesus, but it also comes through Jesus. It's the way that our world experiences shalom. Let me give you another three reasons why. Here's the first one. Number one, when Jesus rules, peace defines our lives. When Jesus rules, peace defines our lives. I referenced this briefly last week, but this messianic prediction in Isaiah 9 speaks to this. By the way, there's a correction. I made a misstatement in last week's message. You can read that in your bulletin. Isaiah the prophet is telling his people that when the Messiah reigns, peace will define their lives. Look at Isaiah 9 verse 6 with me again. We looked at this last week. Let's look at it again. Now, you've got to understand the context of uh, this section in Isaiah here. Back in chapter 7, verse 14, this child's birth, this predicted child's birth, was a sign that it would be unnecessary for the southern kingdom of Judah to trust in Assyria for deliverance from um, their next two northern neighbors, the kingdom of Israel and then the kingdom of Syria even further north. And then in the next chapter, in chapter 8, verse 3, the child's birth was a sign of the same thing, but that, it, that Judah's misplaced trust was going to result in disaster for their nation. This prophet is telling his people, and I am telling you today, that the more control of your life you yield to the Messiah, the more peace in your life you will have. The more Jesus reigns in your heart. The more Jesus rules over every aspect of your life, the more peace you will have. If you came in here today and you feel like there are deep areas of conflict in your life, I'd ask you to do a little introspection. Are there places in your life that are as of yet not yielded to Jesus? And you're like, maybe, maybe, maybe yes, maybe no. It, but that, there might be someone else who hasn't yielded to Jesus too, and they're the source of it. I don't know. But it, it, it behooves us Christians to at least look in the mirror when we talk about this and go, are there places of my life where I, where I try to kick Jesus off the throne and take his spot? You, you, certainly in, in your lifetime, you've seen that bumper sticker that says, Jesus is my co-pilot. Drives me nuts. Hate that. I, I saw another one one time that I like a lot better. It says, if Jesus is your co-pilot, switch seats. When Jesus rules, peace defines our lives the more Jesus you have in your life the more peace you'll have the more you trust him the more wholeness the more shalom you'll have see Paul echoes this like how does that how does that even how does that process work well here's the second thing when we believe in Jesus we get peace when we believe in Jesus we get peace Paul's great magnum opus, the book of Romans, says this over and over again, but nowhere is it clearer than Romans 5, 1 and 2. Paul writes, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. The plain fact is when you believe in Jesus, you get peace. It's part of the deal. At the moment when you say, "Uh, God, I kind of stink at running my life. Would you do it? Can I just give this to you and let you be Lord? At the moment that you do that, when you respond to the gospel, the good news that Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sin and rose again so that you could have an eternal relationship with God, the moment you respond to that, when when you ask Jesus to, to, to save you, And you repent and you confess Him as Lord and you're baptized and you receive God's Spirit. With that comes His peace. God's shalom invades your life. Peace comes from Jesus, but also comes through Jesus. But it goes even deeper than that. You see, when people live like Jesus, they create peace. When people live like Jesus, they create peace. We're called to live like Jesus, and when we do, we create peace or shalom in this world. I hope you know the benediction that Jesus pronounces on his people in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, when he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. So Jesus was the Son of God. You want to be like Jesus? <laughs> be a peacemaker. There's a difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Be a peacekeeper, you don't have to do anything. Kind of duck your head, stay quiet, don't bother anybody, right? Just stay out of the way. Be a peacekeeper forces you into active engagement with the world. And when we live like Jesus, we create peace. We create shalom. When I say that Jesus is the means of peace in terms of practical application, this is what I'm talking about. The more you live like Jesus, the more shalom you will create in the world. The more peace you will bring to the world. The more like Jesus you become, the more peace that the people you're connected with will experience. When he came into the world at Christmas, he came as the living embodiment of peace. He's the ultimate peacemaker and he calls us into that mission with him. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace. He has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall uh, of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh, he's talking about Jew and Gentile relations here. Setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. This is interpersonal here he's talking about. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, that's the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, that's the Jews, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Our job is to live out of the shalom that we have with Jesus and help those around us experience it and thereby have access to the Father. Earlier in his devotion, Paul referenced the uh, peace uh, that was brought about in Northern Ireland. Was it 98? Is that what you said? Nin- 1998. It took a little while. About 12 years later, uh, they built a bridge in the town. Well, they can't even agree on the name of the town. <laughs> the Catholics call it one thing. The Protestants call it something else. Derry or London Derry. And there's a river that goes through. And the Catholics are on one side and the Protestants are on the other side. And in 2011, they built this bridge called the Peace Bridge. And it, it curves. It's, it's for walkers and bikers and, and runners. And You can't drive on it. It just it curves so that you, have, you're, you're, you can't just put your head down and go straight. You're forced to interact with other people because they're trying to bring about peace. Christ calls us, especially at Christmas time, to be bridge builders in a world of barriers. We are called to work to bring social and economic and multi-ethnic shalom to our community. Peace at Christmas is not just the absence of conflict. It's not just a quiet house with twinkling Christmas lights. It's the shalom of Jesus expressed in our community. It's wholeness and harmony. It's life as it should be. That's what God came to give to you at Christmas time. And our job is to give it to others all year long. In 2007, Christmas fell on a Sunday, like it's going to here in a couple weeks. The Chicago Tribune ran a front-page story titled, At Christmas Rebirth. This was the story. Su Zhu Yuan thought that Americans celebrated Christmas as part of their patriotic duty. She had immigrated to the United States from China about eight years earlier. All she could see is relatives giving gifts to one another, and neighbors preparing feasts for each other, and storefronts in Chinatown advertising sales. During her eight years in the United States, nobody ever told her the biblical reason why we celebrate communion or celebrate Christmas until 2007. And someone actually told she why, and they began to tell her the biblical story of God becoming man sharing with her the good news of Christmas. And in hearing that, she she just wholesale, just gave her life to Jesus. And so on Sunday, December 25th, 2007, Su Zhu Yuan was baptized at the Chinese Christian Union Church. And this is what she said when she came up out of the water. She said, I have peace in my heart and joy. She said, I'm giving my burdens to Jesus. She then later said, today, it's like I'm having two Christmases. And maybe that's you today. I would encourage you today, if you do not know the peace that comes from having a relationship with Jesus, knowing that all your sins are washed away, that you've been made right with God and that you, God has poured into you the means of being right with your fellow human beings. If you don't know that, do not walk out of this room without it. In just a second, we're going to stand and sing together, and as we do, I would, I would ask you, I would plead with you, if you haven't made this decision, to, to come to the front, to acknowledge Jesus as Savior, to give your life over to Him as His disciple to be baptized, to receive his spirit in you and begin to live that life of discipleship and you can have a peace that you've never known before. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you kind of kicked Jesus out of the driver's seat again. I've Been there, done that, got the t-shirt and, and just want someone to pray with you and pray for you. You might have another need. that has nothing to do with what we talked about. We'd love to, to partner with you in prayer. But you've got an opportunity to respond just as we sing, I would invite you to come forward to give your life to Christ, to be baptized uh, for prayer, whatever. I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we're going to sing and you respond as God leads you today.